0: You know, we uh, we just watched this funny video about a magic table, magic coffee table. And the truth is, in a lot of ways, Blair and his team do that for us. We often don't hear them praying, they meet on Monday nights, and we don't know who, you know, often what they're praying for. Uh, but they are changing things in our lives all the time, and I'm very thankful for each one of them. Um, but the truth about this, that video, is uh, it really sucks when you do something when you do a kind thing or a generous thing and then somebody else gets the credit for it, right? Like that doesn't ever feel good. If you do a kind thing, you don't want somebody else getting credit for your kind thing. And there was a time when I was trying to teach my son justice about the value of doing kind deeds and not seeking credit for them. Uh, and there's all these YouTubers out there right now who videotape themselves doing really nice things, uh, these random acts of kindness and I'm t- that's, such crap. It is not random acts of kindness. It is random acts trying to earn them internet points. And the best acts of kindness are the ones you do when nobody is looking. The kind you do that nobody ever hears about. And so I'm trying to teach just this, this idea, right? That it's, it's, it, you, people don't need to know about your kind deeds for them to be Important, And so every time it would snow, me and Justice would sneak over to my parents' house and shovel their driveway, right? And then sneak away and they never knew it was us. And we did this for a few months and like, I think Justice is learning and he's learning the value of it. And then that Christmas, we were at my parents' house for dinner And my mom starts talking about this amazing neighbor kid across the street who keeps sneaking over to shovel her driveway. And not only that, but she put a $100 Visa gift card and a note in his mailbox to thank him. That's my gift card. (laughs) So much for integrity, right? The lesson was destroyed right then and there because I told mom, that is us. We've been doing that for the last couple of months. And so, so I'm not sure what Justice learned there. And then the worst part about it was my mom didn't believe me, right? She, she, thought, she thought I was lying. It was just terrible. It sucks when you do something good and somebody else gets the credit for it. And this week, I was talking to my friend Amber that you guys just met here on the stage and who's getting ready to be baptized after church today at 1230 at Lions Park. You're invited to come. Uh, and she, uh, you're gonna hear a bit more of her story next week uh, through her video. Um, she's a new Christian, but in her video, she said something so incredibly profound. Uh, it was just blew me away. She said that all her life, she had blamed God for all of the bad things that have ever happened to her. And she's got a hard story, one, one that's, that's important and powerful. And she may be a new Christian, but she has something of value that we can learn from. She, uh, there was a night, she told us, in Starting Point when she realized something powerful about the way she had been feeling towards God. She discovered the power of gratitude, that if she looked back on her life, all the hard things, all the difficult things, all the bad things that turned into good things, all of the the hard parts of her story. If she was able to look back and see God in those moments and be grateful that he was there and protecting her and leading her and guiding her, even when things weren't good, that she could be grateful about what God had done for her. She may be a new Christian. This idea is incredibly powerful and one we could all serve to learn that Jesus is still moving, that he is still working, that he is still doing Jesus things. And when we choose to give him the credit, that expression of gratitude can be life-changing for us. And that's what this whole message series that we're in right now is all about. We're looking back at these stories of Jesus, stories of of what he did and, and who he was and discovering that it's still what he does and who he is. And today we're going to talk about Jesus, the giver of peace, only sort of. I mean, that's what I've been planning on talking to you about for a couple of months now. Um, The topics that we preach about here at Fort City are normally decided well in advance of the day we preach them. I've known for a while now that it was my job today to talk about Jesus, the giver of peace. And one of the things that I do when I'm preparing a message is well in advance, I'll create a note for the message on my phone. And then as I like walk through my life and uh, stories and reads, and, uh, reading the Bible or stuff comes up and I'll be like, oh, that would fit really good in this message I'm gonna preach about peace in the future and I'll just put the note in there. Or if somebody tells a funny story that I might be able to use, it goes in the note. You know, if I, if I don't write it down, I won't remember it. And so when I sit down to write a message, I can look at this note and I've got stuff, right, that I can Uh, that that I can start working with. And so for the past while, I've been collecting verses and stories and ideas about Jesus, the giver of peace. Let me read you some of the stuff I've got. Uh, Jesus said this in John 14, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. That's a a good one, right? That is encouraging. I love gifts, Uh, especially from Jesus. And then there was this next one in John 16. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That is definitely one of my favorite ones. Take heart. He has overcome. He's got this. Here's another one I had ready to go for today. The disciples, they were all freaking out. Uh, Jesus had been killed and they were convinced that they were going to be next, right? So they're hiding out in this locked room, uh, thinking that if they get discovered that they're gonna be killed, just like Jesus, they're terrified. And they've been in there so long, they don't even realize something incredible has happened in the story of Jesus, that he actually walked out of that grave that they last saw him in. And so they're in this locked room and there's anxiety and stress. And then, then this is what John tells us happened. The doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. In their darkest moments, the very first thing he knew they needed was peace be with you. And these verses are encouraging right they're really great a gift of peace of mind and heart take heart he has overcome peace be with you and then this week i sat down in my comfort chair in my office and i turned open my bible and this is what i read and jesus was preaching to a crowd of over a thousand people and it's a great sermon it's better than the one that you're listening to today without a doubt but let me just read you just a small part of this sermon he said then turning to his disciples jesus said that this is why I tell you, oh, no, this is the beginning of it. Then turning his disciples, Jesus said, that that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They, They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all of your worries at a single moment to your life And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger things? I mean, this is good stuff, right? Like, we're collecting all this great stuff about peace. Uh, Can you imagine the sort of peace that would come from trusting Jesus this much, all your stress, all your anxiety just melting away? And then I kept reading this sermon from Jesus and it goes on and he says this, I have come to set the world on fire. And I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me and I am under heavy burden until it is accomplished. And this is, I wish I read this next part Monday, next week sometime. And he said, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I I have come to divide people against each other. What the what? (laughs) What? What am I supposed, what? I'm sitting there thinking this is the opposite of everything I've been thinking about, the opposite direction of where I should be going. Jesus himself is saying he didn't come to bring peace. Actually, he's saying he came to disturb the peace. And so what the heck is he trying to tell us in this sermon? And I think it boils down to two big ideas. Uh, The difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. When you are not at peace or your relationships are not at peace, that means they're, they're in unrest, right? They're agitated, they're in turmoil and there's tension. It's uncomfortable. And a peacekeeper wants to help you by addressing the symptoms of that unrest. They want you to not feel bad anymore. They want you to stop fighting. They want you to calm down so people can just move on. They want to keep the peace, maintain the peace. It's like if you have kids who are fighting with each other. Kids are crazy, right? And you walk in the room and they're screaming and you're trying to figure out who bit who and who, who stole what from who and it's just chaos, right? And the only way you can you know, maintain any peace, you gotta separate them, right? Put them in different rooms and then suddenly it's quieter and you've kept the peace. But you haven't solved the reason why there was not peace to start. You've just kept the peace. And peacemaking is very different. Peacekeeping addresses the symptoms of unrest, but peacekeeping involves addressing the reason for the unrest in your relationships and in the problems that you have. It's about addressing the root cause of unrest and not just covering up with with good feelings uh, or treating the symptoms. It's about treating the underlying condition. Peacemaking is a lot more uncomfortable than peacekeeping. In fact, to be a peacemaker, you have to be a peace disturber. You must be willing to have difficult conversations. You must be vulnerable uh, enough and willing to address the thing behind the thing. And for many of us, we'd rather keep the peace than make the peace. Peacekeeping is a temporary solution, but peacemaking has long-lasting Results, it doesn't just treat the symptoms, it treats the underlying cause. And I sort of think that this is what Jesus is getting at here, that you've got to disturb the peace to gain peace. He doesn't just want to address that you feel bad or at unrest or agitated or uncomfortable. He wants to address the reason why you feel that way. He wants us to do the hard thing, the uncomfortable thing, do the introspection and the soul care, and to be honest with ourselves about why we're feeling not at rest. When I worked at Suncor, Uh, We would often go into large vessels during turnarounds. They'd be opened up and you'd have to go in and inspect safety equipment or, you know, uh, there's all sorts of reasons we had to go in. And one of the things that you would learn that you were trained, and many of you will know this, is when you go into a vessel like that, a a large vessel, not to disturb any standing water, right? If there's any puddles on the ground or uh, water accumulated in any area, you're not supposed to disturb it. Uh, the air might be safe for you to breathe, but in that water is potential hazards like H2S or whatever else uh, is toxic for you. And so if you disturb that water, you could potentially allow toxic fumes to escape and, uh, into the air. And you and me, we're like this, right? Everything, everything can look good on the surface and our lives are just going along well. You know, not everything's perfect, but the, the, there's peace, right? We, 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 aren't, we haven't disturbed the water. Things are going along, but underneath the surface is stress and frustration and sorrow and unrest. We should never ignore those things that are under the surface. We can treat the symptoms all we want or we can disturb the water and deal with the real problems that are helping us not be at peace. And here's the crazy idea because we all like to feel at peace, but what if sometimes not being at peace is exactly what we need? let me tell you about a story about jesus cousin john the baptizer john the baptist john he had a big mouth he was a loud guy and he would always let you know exactly what he was thinking i know a few people uh, like that in my life i think i'm probably one of those people uh, but john he never minced his words he would always tell you exactly how he felt and uh John was as outspoken as they come and his mouth often got him into trouble. Um, His mouth got him into trouble with this guy, Herod. Uh, Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee, which means he's like the Roman ruler of the whole area. Uh, All the power, they considered him a deity, right? This guy uh, had all the power and he was a top dog and he ruled with an iron fist. And when he saw something he wanted, he just took it. And while Herod saw his brother's wife, and he wanted her for himself, and so he took her. And you know, to, to, to us, this seems really distasteful. It also was really distasteful to everyone around Herod. It didn't earn him any friends. And it was particularly distasteful to our guy, John the Baptist, who in no uncertain terms told Herod that it was a sin what he had done, taking his brother's wife, and then it was an affront to God that God was disgusted with him and what he had done, marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. And he even told this straight to Herod's face. Can you imagine the, right? That you would need to say something like this to a deity, somebody who could put your head on a platter with the snap of his fingers, In fact, that's exactly what Herod's wife Herodias wanted. She wanted uh, John dead. She wanted his head on a platter. She didn't like that he was going all around town talking smack about him, uh, her husband, and herself. Uh, But initially, Herod wouldn't do it. And Mark tells us uh, about her request, and he he tells us that without Herod's approval, she was powerless. She couldn't do it. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, He protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked to John. John challenged him. John called out his wrongdoing and his evil ways, and it disturbed Herod's soul. Herod knew John was onto something, but he never addressed why he felt disturbed. He never looked deep within himself to address what John was talking about. He wasn't willing to disturb his peace to gain peace. And sometimes that gnawing feeling that you have uh, inside of you, sometimes that uh, uh, unrest that just won't seem to go away, sometimes that might just be Jesus' the peacemaker, disturbing your peace in hopes that you'll address an underlying problem. The unrest you feel sometimes might just be the Holy Spirit convicting you of something. He's ringing the alarm bells in your soul to let you know something is wrong and if you don't do something about it, you're headed for a disaster. Nobody likes alarms or warnings. Uh, They're annoying and frustrating. Smoke alarms are obnoxious. When your check engine light comes on, that's really frustrating. The sound your phone makes when there's an amber alert in the middle of the night brings anxiety instantly. Warnings are uncomfortable and unwanted, but they help us to avoid disaster. And I think sometimes before Jesus gives us the peace that we so desperately want. He has to disturb the peace that we think we have. And that's never, uncom- that's never comfortable. The surgery required to get to the underlying condition, to not just address the symptoms, but get to the core of our problems, that surgery is never comfortable. And, and so sometimes there is temptation for us to look for easier alternatives. I've been watching a a show called Ted Lasso. Uh, It's a really entertaining show. And I'll be honest, um, it's got lots of salty language in it. Uh, It isn't G-rated, but every episode is better than the previous one. And I read an article this week uh, from a guy named Mike Frost who wrote about this show and about this guy, Ted. Uh, And Ted is this fictional character. And He's a soccer coach in the show, and he's warm, and he's kind, and he's disarming. He's quick to forgive people. Uh, he's friends with people that nobody else wants to be friends with. Uh, everyone around him it seems to slowly uh, become more and more like him. The People around him become more kind and more loving towards each other. And Mike Frost, he notes that this Ted guy is kind of a perfect archetype of Jesus. He loves everyone. He transforms the people around him and makes them better. Nobody has ever turned away. He is a great reflection of the characteristics of Jesus. But Mike knows something interesting in the show. In their Christmas episode, Ted uh, says it's Santa's birthday. Right? It's not, it's not, and he doesn't think it's Jesus' birthday. <laughs> it's not the celebrating the time when Jesus was born. It's Santa's birthday. And, and, and Mike makes the point that whether they know it or not, people who watch this show love Ted so much because he is like Jesus. The world is looking for the peace and love that Jesus provides, but the world seems to be content looking for it in Jesus-less alternatives like Ted. And we do that some, we do this often We want the peace of Jesus, but we go looking for it in the wrong places, and we end up seeking these Jesus-less alternatives that will never give us the peace that we're searching for. And there is no crystal that you can wear around your neck or hold in your hands that is going to bring you the peace of Jesus. There's no psychic or fortune teller who can take away your anxiety the same way that the Prince of Peace can. There is no reading of the stars or deck of cards that can make you whole. There's no bottle of booze, no sexual addiction, no unhealthy relationships that can bring you healing for your broken soul. There are Jesus-less alternatives, but they don't work. And they never will work. Real peace, the peace that is complete and last, comes from submitting to Jesus. The great peace maker, the great peace disturber, the one who knows what's wrong deep inside of us, the one who knows why we hurt, the one who knows the source of that gnawing at our souls. And this peace that he offers comes when we open ourselves up to him and submit to the hard work of addressing the underlying conditions that make us not at peace. You have to to disturb the peace, to gain peace. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close the service. We've got two songs that we're going to close with, and before we go into those moments together, I want to ask this question: Where do we start? If 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 we need to disturb the peace to gain peace, where do we start? And well, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, to submit your life to following him, then you can start there. He loves you and he cares for you and and he hates to see us suffer. He He wants us to live lives that are full and overflowing with all the good things of the fruits of the spirit, to experience unconditional love, to know overwhelming peace. And today, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, you can do that right now. And if you're already a Christian and you feel like there's something that's not right in your soul, right? You've got this stuff bubbling just under the surface. You can ask Jesus if it's him doing that disturbing to you right now. Ask him if there's some bitterness or unforgiveness, some sinful or hurtful behavior that he wants to help you overcome. And then tell someone about it. Get it in the open. Someone you trust, ask them to pray for you and work through it. In September, we're going to host a six-week class in the evenings called Soul Care. And it's going to be an intense learning and growing experience, a place where we don't just try to keep the peace, where we actually try to make the peace, to do the hard work of addressing our souls and why sometimes they're so uncomfortable. To examine our souls and discover where Jesus wants to heal us and change us And you can sign up for that class right now. It's starting the second week of September. And then at the end of October, we're hosting Doug Balzer, who's going to lead a three-day soul care conference right here at the church. And that weekend, he's going to lead us through understanding things like identity, repentance, family sin patterns, forgiveness, healing of uh, inner wounds, overcoming fear, and experiencing freedom, you know, just regular old stuff. You can sign up for that weekend right now. Uh, The class is free that we're doing, the six-week class, but that three-day weekend in October, uh, there's a price for that. I think it's uh, $75 right now, early bird. It's going to go up uh, in a few weeks. You can sign up, and I want to encourage you, these are two places where I really think could benefit each and every one of us. So make sure to sign up. You know, a few years ago... um, uh, the, the city water valve in the front of my house, you know, the, the ones that are in your driveway or in your lawn, it raised up about this high in my driveway. And for, I, we, I was so scared we were gonna break it. I was so scared that somebody was gonna drive over it and it was gonna crack off and we we're gonna have to excavate the driveway to fix it. And so for four years, five years, I just drove around it, right? We just parked like idiots in our driveway sideways just so we wouldn't hit this thing. And then one day somebody told me, all you have to do is call the city and they'll come and fix it for you. And I called the city and they showed up the next day and they lowered this things into my driveway so it was was out of the way again. For five years, I had this stupid valve annoying me every time I came into my driveway when all I had to do was make one call to get it fixed. Don't wait call about your soul. Don't wait any longer than you have to to begin discovering the overwhelming perfect peace of Jesus. Don't let another day go by without addressing the gnawing on your soul. Don't let another minute pass just trying to keep the peace. Let Jesus disturb the peace. Let me take a moment to pray for us. Jesus, I'm incredibly thankful for this church and for these people and the blessing that they are to me. And I love each and every one, even the ones I've never met before. And Jesus, I just ask today that for those of us in this moment, in these previous weeks, in these previous years, those of us who have this lack of peace inside of us, this gnawing, our souls, this agitation that keeps us up at night or makes us hate ourselves or makes us feel lost and broken, this thing that just exists inside of us. Jesus, I ask you to disturb our peace and to give us the courage and the strength to address the mess that lies just under the surface, to submit to the surgery that you want to perform on our souls. You would disturb our peace so that we can find peace. All those verses from the start of today's sermon about how you want to bring peace and you want, those are all true and we know it. Help us do the hard work of addressing the things that lie just under the surface. Jesus, I pray a blessing over each one. Pray this in your holiest of names.